Well, good morning. I'm glad to see each one of you. We have a lot to cover this morning, so if you would go ahead and find Ephesians chapter 6 in your Bibles. We're going to start in verse 10. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. While you're doing that, if you want to go ahead and check your roll sheet, make sure your name is on that sheet. And if you are not able to be uh, facing me uh, without turning your chair, if you would go ahead and turn your chair to face me, that'd be great. Um, Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. This morning, we come to the end of our time together in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. We've spent all semester walking passage by passage through this wonderful letter and have learned much, I pray, about the mystery of the gospel of God. In Christ, we've learned that the Lord has made a way for sinners, Jews and Gentiles alike, to come to have eternal life, freedom from sin, and the seal and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. We've seen the triune God at work to make those of us who were dead alive. We were darkness, but now we are light in the Lord. The gospel radically changes us, our allegiances and our desires, and it's all the work of God that we receive by faith. We've learned in this letter that it is all his work. But that gospel change, that adoption into the family of God, brings us to the reality that we are in a war. So the title of the message this morning Um, is stand firm. Stand firm. Paul is going to end the letter by reminding you and me that we are in a battle. We are in a war with a real enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Not only that, but our old selves still scratch and claw to get their old ways back. Not only that, but we live in a domain of darkness that is bent on hating God. There are now enemies of God who are now our enemies because we are now his children. So we call this reality spiritual warfare. And in spiritual warfare, you and I as believers are still tempted to sin. We're still tempted to doubt God's goodness. We're tempted to run to sensuality or to live in our pride or some other manifestation of that which grieves the heart of God. And so we as believers who Paul is writing to should expect to experience the heat, the tension, and the struggle of spiritual warfare. And maybe we experience that warfare, we experience those attacks because we're walking in sin. Maybe you are experiencing spiritual attack because you forget who you are or whose you are or what weapons are at your disposal or that the battle has already been won for you and you're trying to live in your own strength. Or maybe you experience attack not because you're wallowing in other sins, but because you're pursuing godliness. Perhaps you've never thought that as you grow in your commitment to Jesus, should you not expect to be seen as a threat to the evil one? Of course you are. Would a growing soldier in the army of God not get the devil's attention? Of course she would. So Paul is going to end his letter after clearly giving the church in Ephesus the gospel and clearly calling them to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which they've been called by exhorting them and us to stand firm. He tells us what we need for this war that we're in. He shows us both in example and in prayer how we might move forward together as the people of God. So let's read. We'll get into it. Starting in verse 10. 
Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Let's pray. Oh God, I pray that this morning, as I am aware of my great weakness and need, I am also aware of your great strength. And Father, I pray that as we read and behold the glory of the Lord in his word, that you might see fit by your spirit to speak. And not only speak as your word is read and taught, but Lord, you would open our ears to hear. Father, we confess that apart from you, we can do nothing. We confess that you alone are able to give us life. We confess that we need all that you offer for life, for godliness, to withstand in the evil day. Help us to see the armor of God as the gift that it is so that we might go and wage war. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if we're in a war, then we need to know the battle. So the first thing we're going to talk about this morning is knowing the battle. Knowing the battle. Who's who? In this warfare, what is required of us? Who are the different players? What are their roles in this war? Paul begins with a command. As he ends this letter, we see that with the word finally there in verse 10. He ends the letter by saying, be strong in the Lord. It's not an option. It's not a request. It's not a good idea. It is a command. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So we don't need to miss that the command that Paul gives you and me as Christians is to recognize that our strength is not our strength. It's the strength of God. We need that spirit of Christ who dwells in us to empower us for the battle. And the strength of his might is what sustains us. And just one moment, if you're sitting in a couch or not in a chair, there are so many chairs in the room. So if you could move, go ahead and move now. That would be great. Thank you. It is not our own strength that sustains us. It is his strength. I think about doing yard work. So we're going into the winter season. You don't have to do as much yard work, but I know in the summertime I have a variety of different kinds of tools. I have small tools that I use for yard work, things that I can hold with my hand that take small batteries, right? And they have so much power, but they're not very strong. They just get the job done for small things. And then I have larger things like weed eaters and lawnmowers and leaf blowers. Those take bigger batteries, more power, more strength, larger capacity, can do more, but they still run out. For the largest things that I have to do, I have cords, right? I plug this thing straight into the wall and there is more power there than I am able to deplete, right? I could just keep it plugged into the wall and it's just going to keep on going. No battery to run out there. 
But even that, even that power that comes from the wall is not infinite, right? I mean, it's, it's a part of a power plan. It's, it's coming from somewhere, Lord forbid, I might lose power sometime and it would be gone. So when Paul says that we are to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, that word might here is the storehouse of power that we need to have in mind when we're thinking about who is empowering us and what kind of power does he have to offer? God is the almighty. Literally all might. So you will never exhaust his power. When you find yourself in need, crying out to him for grace and for strength and for something to sustain you by, there is always infinitely more than you can ask. In that strength, Paul says, we put on the armor of God. He is the one who dresses us for battle. And as we'll see, there are many different kinds of pieces, many defensive, some offensive, and more. But it's God's armor, not yours, not mine. We need this armor for a specific purpose. Paul says it in verse 11, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, so that you may stand. Students, if you are not empowered by God's strength and you are not wearing God's armor, you will not stand. You will not stand. Our king, our commander, equips us with all that we need to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. But sometimes in our forgetfulness, in our sinfulness, in our confusion, we go out into the battlefield without armor and without power. Paul continues by clarifying who the enemy on the battlefield is. It's not flesh and blood. But the rulers, he says, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, that is the devil and his angels and the domain of darkness that this sinful world is gripped by. This is incredibly clarifying for us to know who our true enemy is because friendly fire is a massive problem. If I'm waging war against someone and I'm confused as to who my enemy is, I may be striking a friend and not a foe. So when someone like a boyfriend or girlfriend is tempting you to compromise your purity or when another student is being annoying or mean or when a parent or a loved one lets you down, they are not your enemy. These are not your enemies. Our posture towards flesh and blood, towards the people around us is not war but compassion. We need to know who our real enemy is. That's not to say we can't stand firm in the midst of those circumstances, but we need to know who the enemy is. It's not this person across from me. It's not this person who's getting on my nerves. It's not this person who's, who's tempting me to compromise. They may be doing the work of the enemy, but they are not my enemy. So my stance towards them does not have to be one of destruction, of vengeance, of anger. It's compassion. Verse 12. 
We're in a battle against the evil one in his kingdom of darkness, led by our king and empowered by his great might. We need to know this battle. We need to see what he supplies for us for the war. So let's keep reading. Verse 14. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in, my, in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So if in the first section, Paul is getting us up to speed on knowing the battle, in this second section, we need to learn how to wear the armor. Wear the armor. So our second point this morning is wearing the armor. In Paul's day, in the first century, the Roman Empire, the church in Ephesus would have had a clear picture in their mind of what was being communicated when Paul starts to talk about armor. They all would have had the same image in their mind. They would have pictured a Roman centurion, a Roman soldier who had a standard issue set of armor with distinctions like a helmet with a giant red mohawk looking plume. You may have seen pictures before. So when he describes this armor, his audience collectively has this mental picture in their mind, this image that they can walk through and say, yep, there's the belt, there's the breastplate, there are the shoes, there's the shield, there's the helmet. They can see it. And Paul, knowledgeable of the Old Testament, would also have recognized not just the cultural importance of this imagery, but the biblical importance of this imagery. This armor of God is not just given by God. It was worn by him. So find with me Isaiah chapter 59. You flip back into your Bible in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 59. Isaiah 59, where he's giving this prophecy of recognizing all of this evil and oppression in the world, all of this injustice that's taking place, that the people of God are being tormented, struck down. And not just injustice, but a lack of truth. So you'll see it in your Bible, I pray. If you don't have one, it's on the screen as well. Look at verse 15 with me. It says, truth is lacking. And he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The Lord, that is Yahweh, saw it. And it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation. And his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation 
on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. And we can just stop there, but it continues to say he pays vengeance to his enemies. He brings truth and righteousness and justice. And verse 20, a redeemer will come to Zion to those in Jacob who turn from transgression, declares the Lord. So God sees this injustice in Isaiah 59, and it says his own arm is what will bring salvation, and he puts on this armor. So now turn back with me to Ephesians chapter 6. We recognize as Paul is talking about the armor of God, it's not just armor that he gives, it is armor that he wore. We know that the one who brings real justice and real righteousness is none other than Jesus. So we have to remember at the outset that the armor that we put on as followers of Christ is the armor that was already worn for us and for our salvation. We're putting on Jesus's armor that he already wore for us to win the battle. So we know it works. We know it can protect us. We know that it can sustain us. We know that the sword can do damage. We know that it works because it's his armor. So quickly, let's see what this has for us. First, Paul says the belt of truth. So when you and I think about armor, we don't often think about belts. It doesn't seem like a very important piece of clothing unless you just won like a wrestling competition. But the belt is what holds everything together. And Paul says that the belt is the belt of truth. The truth does the same in our lives. We proclaim the truth of the Lord and his word. We maintain our integrity and our honesty, and we live in that truth. Without it, we are sunk. Without it, none of this holds together. Second, the breastplate of righteousness. Our hearts are guarded by God's righteousness, covering us, when our hearts fail or when the arrows of the evil one fly, it cannot be pierced. Third, shoes of the gospel of peace. We put on the shoes of readiness to move in the power of the gospel, waging warfare, not for war's sake, but for peace. As soldiers of the kingdom of peace. And when we move And when God's rule takes hold, peace comes. Fourth, the shield of faith. Often Roman soldiers would have shields made mostly of wood. Common thing there, they would have wooden shields. And so burning arrows were a problem if you have a wooden shield, right? Because wood burns. So it's one thing to have a regular arrow shot at your wooden shield. That's fine. It could probably withstand it. But a arrow that's on fire, that's a big problem. So a burning arrow was a particularly effective tool against such defensive measures. But here, Paul says that the shield of faith is able to extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. When the enemy attacks our faith, our professing of that faith, our putting forward before us the truth of our faith in Christ, That's what's able to overcome. Listen to Martin Luther here. It's on the screen. You can read along. This is a longer quote, but 
I don't know how to say it better. He says, when the devil accuses us and says, you are a sinner and therefore damned, we should answer. Because you say I'm a sinner, I will be righteous and saved. No, says the devil, you will be damned. And I reply, no, for I fly to Christ who gave himself for my sins. Satan, you will not prevail against me when you try to terrify me by setting forth the greatness of my sins and try to bring me into heaviness, distrust, despair, hatred, contempt, and blasphemy against God. On the contrary, when you say I am a sinner, you give me armor and weapons against yourself so that with your own sword, I may cut your throat and tread you under my feet for Christ died for sinners. As often as you object that I am a sinner, so often you remind me of the benefit of Christ, my redeemer on whose shoulders and not on mine lie all my sins. So when you say I am a sinner, you do not terrify me, but comfort me immeasurably. Students, that's easy to say in Sunday school at 9.50. But if we're honest, if I'm honest, there are many days, there are many nights where this is hard to believe. It's hard to believe that we actually have what it takes to stand against the accusations of the devil. It's hard to believe that we don't have to be brought into heaviness or despair or hatred or contempt. And that's why the shield isn't our shield. That's why the profession of faith is not faith in us. It's not the strength of our profession that saves us. It's not the strength of our profession of faith that protects us. It's the fact that our faith is in Christ, the object of our faith. He is the one who protects us. Again, it's his armor. So when we don't feel like believing that these things are true, when we don't feel as though God is present to hold us in his hands, to cover us like a mother hen covers her chicks, we lean into what we know. Christ died for sinners. And when I feel like a sinner, I can be reminded that that is exactly who Christ died for. That shield of faith. That's why Paul says in verse 16, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. In all circumstances. Fifth, the helmet of salvation. Our salvation is in the Lord Jesus who seals us with his spirit. Again, I want to remind you as we think about the letter to the Ephesians that the Trinity is at work. The Father gives us the armor of God worn by his son, Jesus Christ. And the helmet of salvation is applied to us. This armor is given to us by the spirit. We are marked as Christians, sealed by the spirit of Christ. And now the world knows that we are his. Nothing can take that away, and hopefully no one can mistake it. So think back to those helmets that those Roman soldiers would have worn. I can look a far ways off and see that crimson plume and know that's a Roman soldier down there. 
I don't need to know any other feature about who this person is. I don't need to know what else they have on, but I see that helmet and I know. I know what kingdom he belongs to. So it is with the helmet of salvation. Like them, we are distinct. We stand out. It should be true of us. And if it's not true, then perhaps it's because we're looking for our salvation in other things. We've put on different helmets. We've made our allegiance known that we belong to another kingdom. We need the helmet of salvation to take up. Alongside number six, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Up to this point, we've talked about armor, defensive measures, things that will keep us from experiencing the pain and suffering and wounds of the enemy. But now Paul says, you've been given the sword and the sword is the word and the word is alive. It's living and active And the sword of the Spirit is what we wield against the world that hates God, against our own flesh that scratches and claws and bites to try to regain ground that was lost at our conversion, and the devil himself. Think about the Lord Jesus when he's tempted in the wilderness. How does he respond to the devil's accusations and the devil's temptations? He doesn't ridicule him. He doesn't belittle him. He doesn't show himself to be strong. He just quotes Deuteronomy. And it's enough for the devil to flee him. The question that we have to ask when we think about the sword of the spirit is, do we know how to wield it? And do we believe that it's actually sufficient? Do we believe that it's sharp enough to actually wage warfare? Or do we look for other weapons? Perhaps weapons that the world might offer you. Like shaming. Or heaping guilt. Or manipulating. Or arrogance. These are not the weapons that the army of God uses. These are the weapons of the world. We need the sword of the spirit. And underneath it all, Paul says, is prayer, which connects us to our king while we're on the battlefield. Look at verse 18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. It's like Paul can't emphasize enough that praying is important. I need you to pray in the spirit and just pray. And, and, and give supplication. As you just pray and then pray and then pray. And our prayers in the spirit, meaning we're led by the spirit when we pray and we're aware of the presence of God by his spirit when we pray. If you've been a part of equipping groups in the last semester on Wednesday nights, then you have become aware, perhaps more than ever before, that prayer is a place to go to be honest in the presence of God. It's not a place to go get what you want. It's a place to hear from the king. It's a place to make your needs known and to recognize that he is giving you all that he sees fit to give. We go to pray to become aware of his presence. We go to pray to keep alert on behalf of others. That's what we talked about this last Wednesday night when we talked about intercession. 
And Paul even makes his, this request known. He says, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me. So there's a lot in these little phrases. First, I want to say, to that end, keep alert. Keep alert. And with all perseverance. So if I have to keep alert in prayer and I have to persevere in prayer, then what does that tell me? Prayer is not easy. Prayer is hard. I don't have to persevere in easy things. I don't have to keep alert in easy things. Paul is saying when you go to pray, you are waging war. So keep alert and persevere and bring these supplications on behalf of the saints to the one who is able to do something. And Paul knows that even he is in need of the strength of the Lord. So he asks these brothers and sisters that they might continue to pray for him. He needs to be bold. Can you imagine? I mean, think about the book of Acts. Paul seems so naturally bold. He stands before soldiers. He stands before governors. He stands before kings. Always with a word to speak, always with clarity, always speaking with the authority of an apostle. And yet here he is writing this letter, remember, from prison in chains for his faith. He says, church, will you pray that I would be bold? Would you, would you pray that I would speak what I ought to speak? Now, why is he saying that? Because he feels the temptation to not. He feels the temptation to be quiet. He feels the temptation towards cowardice. He feels his weakness. He feels his need. He knows that he needs to be bold with the opportunities he has to proclaim the mystery of the gospel even as a prisoner. I think we can all agree that he is in some difficult circumstances. He's there because of his commitment to Jesus. And he says, pray. Pray that I would stay committed. Now, how does this apply to us? Well, I think it's because we need that boldness too. We need to be praying for one another that God would continue to supply his strength. I mean, there are people in this room And we know this to be true. We know this to be true when someone comes to us and says, you know, I'm, I'm praying for you. And you know that that's not like a, a thing that people in the South say that basically just says, hey, I'm thinking of you right now because you're in front of me, but when we leave, I'm not going to think about this anymore. But like, I, I'm praying for you. I'm, I'm going before the Lord on your behalf And saying, Lord, she knows her need. Even if she doesn't, would you supply it? Lord, you know that circumstance that he's in way more than I do, way more than he does. And you want what's best for him way more than we do. So God, would you be faithful? Would you continue to supply your grace in his life? Would you continue to gird him up by the power of your spirit? As they walk through the valley of the shadow of death, would you continue to be their good shepherd? 
Would you help them to believe either through your good grace, through the power of the word and the spirit, or through brothers and sisters like me, things like your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This is how we support one another in the war. All that I have to give for your sake is that which God has given to me. I have nothing. I have nothing in myself to give to you that will sustain you in the battle. But if I have Christ, I have all that I need to give you. And you have all that you need to give me. And we have all that we need to give one another as we bring one another before the Lord. We need to put this armor on and not forget that we are in a war. All right, we need to land the plane. Last couple of verses, starting in verse 21. So that you may also know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. So we've spent time knowing the battle. We spent time learning how to be wearing the armor. Now in our final section, very quickly, we will start to be waging the war. Waging the war. Two things we see here that Paul gives us. He sends out to wage the war with a model and with a prayer. First, Paul gives the Ephesians and us a model for how we ought to live as soldiers in God's army. And it's none other than Tychicus. What a great name. Tychicus. Three things that we see in Tychicus that should remind us and empower us and encourage us to wage war. First, he is a beloved brother. A beloved brother. Paul can't say that without knowing him and being known by him. You want to wage war? Start to live as though the people in the room around you are your brothers and your sisters. Get to know them. As you get to know them and they get to know you, you will come to grips with the reality that we are often not nearly as stable and put together as we put on. So when that exposure takes place and you don't leave, you don't walk away, it looks like love. Tychicus is a beloved brother to Paul. He's a beloved brother to the Ephesians and he reminds us that if we want to wage war well, we would love the brothers too. Second, he's a faithful minister in the Lord. We don't know what kind of gifts Tychicus was given. We don't know all of the things that he was made to do, but we do know it seems as though Tychicus is the one carrying this letter from prison to Ephesus. That's a lot of trust for Paul. I need you to take this letter to that church in Ephesus that for the next 2,000 years, the church of Jesus Christ is going to read as well. So no pressure. Don't lose it. Don't get lost. He's a faithful minister in the Lord. Students, are you faithful 
Are you faithful? Can you give your word and it be received with value? Are you trustworthy? When you speak, do people believe you? Everybody starts from somewhere and no one is perfect. But to be a faithful minister in the Lord requires a period of time of testing and being proven to be faithful. We start small and we move to greater things. He who is faithful with little will be faithful with much, Jesus says. So as we wage war, be faithful. If you tell someone, I'm going to pray for you, perhaps stop right there and pray. If you say, hey, I'm going to read that thing for our next Bible study, read it. If you're going to say, hey, I want to invite these people to do this thing, invite them. If you sit around the table and having conversation go, yeah, I need to spend more time in God's word. I need to develop these habits and disciplines of prayer. Do it. And remember, you don't have it in and of yourself. You don't have the strength. So recognize your weaknesses. Recognize that there are people around you who want to lovingly come alongside you and help you to grow in faithfulness. There are few things more valuable than that. And third, he's being sent to the Ephesians that he may encourage their hearts. Tychicus encourages the hearts of believers. May it be an aim of your life that your encouragement to the people of God far outweighs intended or unintended discouragement. That you would be known as a person on the battlefield who when when I see you, what stirs up in my heart is not fear, it's not flagging, it's not faltering. I can look at you and say, I can be brave because she's here. I can be honest with where I am because he's in the room. May it not be said of you that your presence discourages believers. That your words cause their hearts to flag and falter and not be stirred up to love and good works. So you want to know what to do with your life? You want to know what's worth your contemplation, your planning, your energy, your efforts, and your time? You want to know what's more important than a fantastic GPA? What's more important than memorizing all of the rosters of the teams that you love? Becoming like Tychicus. Because as we imitate him, we are imitating the Lord Jesus. He gives us a model, and second, he prays. Paul prays that we might have peace, love, faith, and grace. And if we love the Lord, if we are in Christ, if we've been adopted by the Father, if we have the Spirit of God dwelling within us, then these things, love, peace, faith, Grace, these things are not some future gift being held out before us like a carrot on a stick. That if we just run hard enough or work hard enough, we may get them. No, they are ours now. Right now, you have the love of God. Right now, you have his grace. 
Right now, you've been given the gift of faith. And because of these things, you can have peace. Peace in your heart. Peace in your life. Remember in one of the first sections of Ephesians, I read to you a quote from John Owen. You'll see it on the screen. John Owen wrote, Our greatest hindrance in the Christian life is not our lack of effort, but our lack of acquaintedness with our privileges. This is what we have in him. So we end where we began. Student, we as believers have all that we need to fight the good fight of faith, to wage war. We have all that we need to stand firm. Jesus has already worn this armor and already won this victory. So we can walk through this life clothed in his righteousness, clothed in his armor, living in his victory. This is how Paul ends the letter to the Ephesians. So the command is, be strong, stand firm, go to war. Know that you've won. Let's pray.